With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And welcome to the Bleacher Connection with your host, Ken and Trevor. Part of Unhinged Radio, powered by Belly Up Sports. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at Radio Unhinged and at Belly Up Sports, as well as at Belly Up Sports Podcast. A lot of great shows on the network now on Unhinged Radio and on Belly Up. Make sure to check them all out. As always, you can find Trevor and I on social media. Trevor is at the BleacherCon One. I am at the BleacherCon Two. We have our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection Podcast, and as always. Check out our link tree for all our partner links and our merch page. Trevor, how are you doing? I'm good, Ken. How are you doing tonight? Well, I'm glad it's, uh, we're getting into, well, for us, it's the weekend here and just a bit of time to relax and unwind after uh, a hectic week. Yours maybe more so than mine. I know nothing about this relaxed portion. Uh, for those listeners out there that may not know, I'm actually right in the middle of moving. I move into my new house in a couple of days and I'm uh, squeezing in our weekly recording here as uh, my little break from packing boxes and cleaning carpets and washing bathtubs. And it's been, uh, it's been pretty crazy for me, but for my family and I very excited about, you know, this new, new adventure in our life. And it's, it can't come soon enough. I'm just going to say that. I got to say you're doing this all wrong, man. Like when, when you got the move coming up, you make sure you have a trip planned to Mexico right before you're supposed to move. So that when you come home, everything's packed. Well, okay. Um, some of us aren't dicks. <laughs> well, to be fair, my wife should have been on the trip too, but at the time her work did not give her the time off and it was already booked. So, and we didn't know we were moving when we booked it. So I, I got to say, I got off pretty easy. Uh, the look I got when I complained about having to pack up my desk, I stopped real quick. I, uh, I felt I might've gotten shanked. <laughs> yeah. I think I felt the death stare all the way from three hours away, but you know, unlike you, I've been doing my lion's share of the work as well. My fair share. So, but nope, it's super excited. It's uh, going to be a good, good move for my family and can't wait for the day to come. It's uh, this is a bit of a, my last episode that I get to record in my kind of little empty classroom. Now you can call it. Uh, <laughs> Might be a little lag more echoey than usual because, well, there's me and a desk sitting in here, and that is about it. Yeah, you're gonna have your, your, your plans are having a, your own little setup as well for when you do get to the new place. So you get to it's a lot of fun setting that up and planning it. I could, I know I have enjoyed setting up my recording space. So 
Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to having my own little space in the new place. So very exciting. Yeah. Well, on today's episode, Ken and I are going to go in a little bit of a different direction than we normally do. We're still going to talk sports because, hey, that's what we do. But we want to talk about something a little bit different. And our main focus today is actually going to be sports documentaries. There's been some really, really good ones come out recently that we kind of want to talk about how the impact that they've had on us and kind of the deeper dive into some things that we didn't know so much about it. And I'm not just sports documentaries. Me personally, I'm a documentary buff. Uh, David Attenborough, I could fall asleep every night to that man discussing wilderness. I am an absolute, I'm a documentary buff, whether it's world war one, two documentaries, history, nature. Uh, you want to talk, yeah serial killers, all that kind of stuff. I am a documentary buff. So I'm actually very, very excited about today's episode. But before we get into the uh, documentary talk, something happened in the world of hockey today that we just, or sorry, this week that we just, we can't not talk about this. And that is a recent uh, transaction between the, the Carolina Hurricanes and and uh, caught Kaniemi of the Montreal Canadiens, where he essentially signed an offer sheet. Ken, why don't you bring some of the listeners up to speed here, and uh, let's let's hear your take in Are You Kidding Me on this offer sheet? Well, yeah, I mean, I thought I was getting punked when I was on lunch, and I saw that there was an offer sheet signed. I, I had to triple check the twitter account to make sure it was legit but yeah the the carolina hurricanes signed Jesper kakiemi to a one year 6.1 million offer sheet now what makes this such a beautiful story and as much as i love it for the pettiness the, the logical side of it, this is why we don't get offer sheets very often, is because this is a pure revenge move. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Two years ago, and I'll, I'll read Mark Bergevin's quote from two years ago, the Montreal Canadiens signed uh, Sebastian Ajo to an offer sheet. And I believe it was in, was it in the 8 million range over six years. I think. Yeah, it was a five or a six year deal kind of in that. I believe it was below that. I actually think it was well under market value. I think it was closer in the six mil range, which made it an almost no brainer for the Hurricanes to match. But at the time, it was ridiculously front loaded because the Canadians believed that the Hurricanes were financially in peril and wouldn't put out the upfront money of this. Yeah, well, essentially what it came down to on the... Uh, salary cap average was it was right in the middle of what Aho was asking for and what the Canes were offering. It was almost like, okay, you did the negotiating for them, but what makes it. It was almost like they went to arbitration. Yeah. It was like the shots fired though, was Mark Bergevin said, Sebastian Aho accepted our offer. He wants to come to Montreal. He sees our youngsters coming up the organization and wants to be a part of that. We're proud, but there's still a waiting period. Well, cue the pettiness. 
which just all day long, please, all day long. Kane's GM, uh, Don Waddell, uh, as tweeted out by David Pagnotto of the fourth period, said, Jesper Kotkiemi has accepted our offer. He wants to come to Carolina. He sees the core we've built here, and he wants to be part of that. We're proud, but there's still a waiting period. When you make an offer like that, we saw a vulnerable position. Like, this was just pure gold. I only saw that not too long ago. You had mentioned that Waddell had made a statement almost word for word um, based on Bergevin's of two years ago. But what I saw first, and this is why I had to triple check it to make sure it was legit. And I even like, <laughs> it took me five minutes to find the Elliot Friedman tweet to say, yes, that an offer sheet had been accepted. Uh, Trevor, I'll let you, uh, my French is absolutely horrendous. So well, take it away. You mentioned that there was a press release by the Carolina Hurricanes. Well, here's where the pettiness starts. It's in French. It's amazing. And, and I'm going to uh, butcher this as best as I can right here. Le Hurricane on an say aujourd'hui avoir déposé an offer hostile, that hostile offer. Aujourd'hui, autonomy avec restriction, j'espère qu'à Kenyami de Canadiens de la Montréal. L'entente proposé est d'un durée de un an et d'une valeur annuelle moyenne de 6.1 million. Well, for those of those that don't speak French, it more or less... Me. Yeah, so Ken, I, I will uh, translate this as best as I can. And more or less, the, in, in completely mock, I don't want to say mocking, but in kind of a kick to the teeth to the Canadians in, in the mother tongue, I guess. It, it pretty much is, we've signed a, a restricted free agent to an offer sheet with a hostile takeover for a, from the Montreal Canadiens for one year, $6.1 million. And the kicker to this, and this is where I think it really might go off the rails for the Montreal Canadiens, is this deal includes a $20 signing bonus. Like, I don't know. I don't know that the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> can afford this, but are you kidding me? Like, talk about an absolute, like, there, there's kind of a little slap across the face. You want to go the full kick in the nads? The $20 signing bonus is more or less like, F you, like, this is strictly straight up revenge by the Hurricanes, and and they're more or less maxing out all the money that the Montreal Canadiens would have saved on Shea Weber going on to long term injury reserve. They are absolutely draining the Montreal Canadiens of any financial flexibility they have. Because there's no way they're not going to match this, right, Ken? Oh, well, before, yeah, you're you're right. There is money to be saved because Montreal Canadiens absolutely need this. Need this. They're already at $83,776,370 cap hit. They are 2.276370 over. Excuse me. That is the projected LTR... LTIR that they're going to use just to get to the cap. Plus, and I don't, that, that's not even Shea Weber's. That, well, Paul Byron's on yeah, there. Yeah, who's well. Paul Byron? And is, does this mean Paul Byron now has to stay out for a little bit longer 
than he would have wanted to potentially. Like this is such a kick in the teeth. I love like, it. If, it's amazing. If they sign this, they go six million over the cap more than they already are. So yeah, they could get that relief. But if Shea, that either means Shea Weber has to sit out, Paul Byron has to sit out the entire year and pull a, a Kucherov without the success at the end. Or if Montreal really wants to uh, accept this, they got to make moves. They got to get rid of at least a couple people to fit this under the cap. Are you going to get rid of Gallagher, who you just signed at six and a half million? Jonathan Drouin, five and a half? That's a possibility. But who's going to take that at the full cap hit? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm going to start. I'm going to cut you off there for a second, Ken. I don't know that they are actually over the cap because you're allowed to, in the offseason, be, I believe it's 10% above the cap. If they sign this contract, they are $100,000 below that 10% allowable variance above the cap in the off season. And once those LTIRs kick in, they are actually below the cap, but barely. Barely. And that's barely. Like barely. And I know teams like what a lot of people don't understand. And I was one of them until I was listening to Sportsnet 650 a little more. The cap isn't just for the year. There is a daily cap. So that the big reason what some people said, Oli Ulevi for the Canucks didn't play was because the daily cap didn't allow it. And so he only played half the season or whatever it was for that reason. Now, does Montreal want to, does Montreal think Kotkiemi is a $6.1 million player right now? He might be in the future, but maybe not right now. You got to make that decision or you get a first round and a third round pick and you go on your merry way Carolina pays him 6.1 and probably doesn't qualify him at the eight or $9 million it would be. I was actually literally just going to ask you that. Cause I don't know. Is there going to be a qualifying offer after this one year deal? Cause if he goes to the Canes. I don't think so. Okay. Cause I was wondering on that one. I, I'm not, uh, I'm pretty good with the NHL salary cap, but I don't know all the intricacies. So I had wondered if there was going to be a qualifying offer involved in this that would then really make it so Montreal didn't want to sign this. I shouldn't say, I don't know hundred percent, but I still know he would be an RFA. So in the, in that world, you should still have to qualify him. So this is pure pettiness. I'm all for it. But at the same time, this is why we don't see it very often used um, when it comes to the, the offer sheet, because at some point, you will receive the payback and they will hold you over the coals to make a decision. One that could be franchise season altering for you. To me, this story really lies with, it's not so much in my opinion, the actual transaction. I don't think for a second Montreal is not going to match this offer. I can't see them letting a, a potential young stud first round player go. I, I can't see it. To me, the, the real story here that's got me intrigued is just the Carolina Hurricanes Twitter feed. At Canes, that Twitter feed is just phenomenal right now. And putting out the oh, release always, in French. Always. It's always. If, for those of you that may not follow the, their social media account, I highly recommend it. At Canes is a great. The they're a bunch Predators. of jerks for a reason. Yeah. They're an awesome follow. 
the they Nashville brought, Predators blocked him last year for about three it, weeks. Exactly. The Nashville Predators blocked him because they were mocking banners in the building at Bridgestone Arena. Like, it just follow at Canes. These guys are awesome. They've got an Uno card out there, of course, in red and white, pretty much of the, hey, right back at you. <laughs> to the Montreal Canadiens. Like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. I, We've talked about this before. The NHL needs more personality. And this whole transaction to me is all about personality. It's all about a big F you, Montreal. It's all about getting revenge. And at no point do I even believe that Montreal's not going to match this. But here's another interesting angle on it how much ill will is there now for the Montreal Canadiens towards Kotkaniemi for signing this I know he's completely within his rights but Kotkaniemi signed this with the $20 signing yeah, bonus that was exactly he my thought this. too so this is a major I think a major FU to the Montreal Canadiens organization from Kotkaniemi as well it's like I intentionally did this and you guys are going to suffer on it. He played well. He didn't He didn't play poorly last year. Yet when it came down to the last game of the Stanley Cup final, they benched him. He was in the press box. And he was a guy that did some of their heavy lifting for him. And he's young. He's going to make mistakes. They, they, they all do when they're at that age and at that development stage of their careers. But I, I think, it, yeah, that was my big question. He signed an offer sheet with a $20 signing bonus beautiful and the thing is if montreal accepts or matches correct me if i'm wrong here trevor they can't trade him for the year nope so what will that do between him and the organization it's a big question i think there's a lot of damage done here and i think it was done on purpose i think i'm almost wondering if cotton kennedy emmy seeked out carolina on this possible because there's a lot of this whole offer sheet is about spite and revenge. And I actually think it's coming from both sides, not just the Carolina over the Ajo thing, but because like you just said, he got benched in the Stanley cup final. And I, don't I think, think that was, was I'm not sure it was either. And all of a sudden now Cole Caulfield's getting all the spotlight and Suzuki's getting all the spotlight in Montreal. And, and, and Esperi Kakanami is kind of like the forgotten son. And I think he, I think he's taken it personally and, I was stunned when I just saw this news come out in the first place today. But as I dove deeper into it, it was just like, this is beautiful. This is amazing. Like this needs to happen more often. Uh, I hope someone offers sheets Elias Pedersen tomorrow. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy, easy. Easy there, buddy. (laughs) Let's focus on where their hate lies. Let's keep it with Montreal and Carolina. Don't drag my Canucks into this. I just, I love the... I've always loved offer sheets and whether it goes back to the original offer sheet that started the shit show with uh, what was it? Dustin Penner with uh, Kevin Lowe and Brian Burke. Like that started it. And that was just, that's a saga we all remember. And every offer sheet just has drama to it. And for a league that is so dry and dull, sometimes this drama is amazing. Good on you, Carolina hurricanes. Good on you, Montreal Canadians for, you know, kind of reigniting a bit of a battle. I appreciate it. Hey, let's give it two years and let's get a, let's get a docu-series on this. <laughs> this would be good TV. 
Well, Ken, that's actually a really great segue into our, into our main topic for the day. But before we get into it, Habs fans, Canes fans, we'd love to hear from you guys about this offer sheet. What do you think? Reach out to us I, on Twitter. I'm at the BleacherCon1. Ken is at the BleacherCon2. We want to hear from you guys. This is, I love it. I love this. And I want more of this in today's NHL. Don Cherry is probably just cringing right now. Oh, he's probably, oh. They're not the bunch of jerks. They're the bunch of freaking assholes is probably what he's (laughs) thinking right now. (laughs) So moving on into our main topic of the day, as we discussed off the top of the show, Ken and I really want to dive into some sports documentaries. And and like I mentioned, I love documentaries. I think they're the greatest thing ever. Ken actually was about a week ago, texted me and goes, you have to watch Malice in the Palace. And so I did. I literally, I was actually off that day at home. I turned it on about an hour later and I watched it. For those of you that haven't watched it yet, it's essentially, well, it essentially is. It's a documentary uh, about the Indiana Pacers and Detroit Pistons brawl that where they ended up brawling with the fans. And this was uh, just so well done. It was awesome. I didn't know that much about it. I am so glad I watched this because it really gave us a deeper dive. Ken, why don't you kind of let the listeners, without revealing everything, kind of do a dive into the the show and why you enjoy it so much? Because I I thought it was awesome. Yeah, so we'll say there will be probably some spoilers here. So if you haven't watched it, pause this, go watch it, come back and listen. It is this was a great show. Like I saw the preview for it and what kind of got me even interested in watching it before we get into that is Netflix so far is, is batting a thousand uh, for their, for their sports documentaries. Uh, the, the last dance was a Netflix one. And that was almost like that was episodes came out. And by the time I actually got to watching it, I think they were already, they were there. So it was great. I thought the last dance was good. I'll touch on that one after because I thought it was amazing. Yeah, but I really like the Malice, Untold Mouse in the Palace is an hour long, a little over an hour, and it gets into everything. Like you, you get to talk the like with Last Dance. You've got Jermaine O'Neal. You have Stephen Jackson. You have Ron Artest, Metal World Peace. I'm not sure which one he's going with right now. Uh, Jim Gray. Uh, the president and GM of the Pacers, you get everything. You get that story being told by them. They were there. Everything that Reggie Miller to me, who still looks like an accountant more than a basketball player, but um, he uh, a shooter of all time. He is. Steph Curry. He is. And this was when I still had some interest in basketball when this happened. So November 19th, 2004, so it's already been 17. It's like, it's coming up on 17 years ago that this happened, but it's still like, it's right there in the back of your mind. What I really loved about this documentary is that you heard from the players. You really heard from them. What everything meant leading up to that point with Jermaine O'Neal getting drafted by the Blazers, what it meant coming out of high school for him to, to, as he said, break the cycle kind of thing within his family and get there. 
for Steven Jackson getting there for just for, for everything that went into it from what happened the season before with the Pacers losing to Detroit before they went on to winning the, the NBA finals. You didn't hear that at the time. The, the players were ultimately muzzled. No one wanted to hear from them. And what I really took away, and I think something that really bothered me and angered me while watching this was the narrative that the news outlets, not just like, and we're talking CNN, ABC, Fox News, whatever, like the regular news type put out. Non-traditional sports outlets is what I would refer to it as. Yep. But ESPN, everything like that. Fox, like these sports news outlets absolutely railroaded the players. And what I think this documentary does is it shows everything that went on behind the scenes that was just completely bothersome, right? So much was put on the players. And I think most people by now know the fans were more culpable for the start of it than anything else. And David Stern, in my opinion, was a coward in how he handled that because he only put it on the players. Then, after, at all times, he never said, if the fan didn't throw the beer, this never would have happened. The prosecutor who was put in charge in Oakland County to prosecute this and and investigate it, he had no problem doing it. But the league sold out their players, their family for the fans. That pissed me off. I have to agree with you on that. It was a very one-sided argument and the term that was used and what really pissed off the players was the term thug. It became like every NBA player was all of a sudden a thug and these guys were no good. They were rich. They were spoiled guys coming from the mean streets of Philadelphia, Los Angeles and Compton and New York and these guys aren't professional athletes. They're gangsters. They're going to, you know, they, they're going to go out and commit crimes after the game. They were called criminals in that. They were called criminals. They were called thugs. It was disgusting. It was, these are, these are professional athletes living out their dream. Do some of them come from tough circumstances? Absolutely. They do. That's so different than in any, any occupation in the world. You have people who come from the, difficult circumstances the mean streets let's say to succeed that's what these these athletes have done you had ron artest who and let's not give him too much leeway here he was a bit of a wacko but he's a modern day dennis rodman he was very much it it was just like a, a newer dennis rodman he got just absolutely absolutely railroaded on this what the the part of the documentary that i really kind of hit home was when he talked about the mental illness portion of his NBA career and people thought he was weak and, and soft because he had a mental illness. Well, I'm sorry in today's world, mental illness and mocking it and joking about it doesn't fly. It may have back then and that and times have changed, but that just really, really hit home to me because I remember when I was a fan 
I've always been an NBA fan. I remember every, I hated meta world peace because you always got this negative viewpoint of him, but to hear him talk about his mental illnesses on the do, on the documentary really changed my opinion of the guy and his career from then on out. I didn't know that. And I was really taken uh, appreciative of the fact that he admitted to it. You had Jermaine O'Neal who really took exception to being called a thug. He really took exception to the fans storming the, the court. And he was literally trying to protect, a, protect himself and protect his teammates. Because if he didn't, God knows what would have happened. And he got lit up for it. it craziness, in my opinion. Steven Jackson got lit up for this. When they were sticking up for teammates in a situation where there was no security to be found, and there's video of it, no security to be found, and they were literally protecting themselves from 15, 20,000 crazed fans, I would have done the same thing. Yeah, Jermaine O'Neal, I think, out of all of them, probably suffered the most out of this. No, Reggie Miller did. Oh, well, yes. Reggie Miller got robbed of a chance to win an NBA title. Yeah, for that point, yes. But that was his final year. Jermaine O'Neal, that carried through the rest of Jermaine O'Neal's career. The one thing I will say with... Ron Artest, Metal World Peace, he never shied away of saying, I'm not responsible. I, they all took, they said, yeah, we should have been punished. But the punishment that they received was an absolute joke. Absolute joke. Especially when they go to court and everything and the federal government says, you were in your right to do what you did. You are not going to get in trouble for that because you were defending yourself. Now, the one part that I, I just kudos on the guy for sticking with it for the last 17 years but charlie h the guy that got and quote unquote sucker punched by jermaine o'neill good thing he slept oh. <laughs> would have been bad. Like, he he is still sticking to the story that he and his buddy got pushed onto the court they got pushed that way and they somehow ended up on the court yet in everything you've seen from that day in November, 2004 to today, he's on that court. He squares up. Maybe his buddy squared up Ron Artest and Ron pops him or goes to, and Jermaine O'Neal comes flying in to, to help protect him. Don't tell me you are a liar. He's quit sticky. Like there is so much video evidence that says you were not there by accident. You were squaring up to Ron Artest, to Jermaine O'Neal, to the Indiana Pacers, and you got knocked out. I won't, uh, you know, Chris Tucker has a great line in Friday that I won't say right now, but um, he got knocked out, and rightfully so. The one thing that I took away from this, and I sent you a video last weekend or midweek about it, right, like going right on the heels of this, is when David Stern put it on the players and not the fan behavior that led to it all, because Ron Artest does not go into the stands if that That, beer does not get thrown. Exactly. If he doesn't toss that beer from 20 rows away, and unfortunately Ron Artest attacked the wrong fan, and and even the guy readily admits, he goes, 
I'm kind of glad he walked right by me, but he still took a sucker punch at him. Oh yeah, absolutely. But it started because of that. It doesn't happen if the fan doesn't do that. That's, but, that's what's the so frustrating about this. But David Stern set that in motion that, that my 80 to a hundred dollar ticket gives me the right to do whatever the hell I want to within the confines of that stadium. Now, it's completely different continent, different sport, European soccer. Just this past week, Marseille was playing Nice. I think it was in Nice. It was a home game for them. One of the Marseille players went to go take a corner kick and was having projectiles chucked at him from the stands. We're talking water bottles. We're talking anything they, they had, anything they had, they were chucking it at him. Now, after about the third water bottle came down at him and hit him, he picked it back up and fired it back in. And it, in, it just caused a brawl. Like the fans came out of the stands and onto the field. And we're talking European soccer where you could get 50 to 70,000 people in a stadium versus 22 on the field. It, it was an absolute gong show. You probably had a couple hundred fans right there on the field going after the players. Players are fighting fans. Coaches are fighting fans. Fans are fighting fans. Like, it was just a joke. But again, it's that mentality and entitlement of my ticket allows me to do whatever the hell I want. I will say FIFA does a better job when fans get out of hand because they have said to teams and supporters when they've done the racist chants or things like this, you're playing the next three games behind closed doors, no fans. It doesn't happen often, but FIFA does come down on them. And you're talking about a sport that brings in more money than any other league out there. You hit on a really good point there. And I want to take off on a little bit further where you more or less said, you feel like because you paid your $80 to sit in the stadium, you're obligated to do whatever the hell you want to do. That's utter garbage. You're obligated to sit there, watch the game, cheer on your team. That's fine. You can mock the other team a little bit. That's fine. Right? You can have fun. You paid $80. You paid $200. You paid $500. You may have paid $5,000. That doesn't give you the right to act like an asshole. And a lot of people have that mentality that I'm here. I can do whatever I want. That's garbage. Absolute garbage. Every week you see brawls in the stands on Twitter. There was one last week at, at, at the Pittsburgh, it was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, Steelers game. Where a female pretty much started a fight and her husband, boyfriend, significant other ended up getting knocked the hell out because of it. You see it every week. This is ridiculous. Why do people go to games, drink too much, and fight in the stands? It, it, get, it, that's not what this is about. And I know that happens at all sorts of things, but I think it does happen more often at sporting events because people feel entitled that I'm here and I'm allowed to be as boisterous as I want. No, no, you're not. Enjoy the game. Don't be an asshole. Don't be a dumb fan. Don't be a jerk. Just sit there, cheer, and enjoy. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I had to go off on that little tangent there because we've seen it so much, even in the last six months. I think maybe because people didn't have sports for so long that they're like, to how to act. 
Yeah, they forgot how to act at these events. It is almost every weekend at every NFL game now, you see posts on Twitter of fights in the stands. Stop it. Oh, baseball as well. It's, it's baseball as well. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, back to the documentary side of things, Netflix, I think, is doing a fantastic job with it. Last Dance, Untold, it's a series. This one was Mouse in the Palace. There's another one about Christy Martin, first female boxer, really put boxing on the map. I haven't watched it yet. It was funny. I rewatched Malice in the Palace again just last night for this. And my wife was watching something on her iPad. I'm like, hey, watch the fight. And so she started watching like halfway through. And then she kept watching. And she's like, okay, hold on. I have questions. Like, she didn't care about this thing at all. But then she started like watching it and seeing it. And like, well, hold on, hold on. Wait, pause. I got more questions. I thought that was awesome. It was great. Like it's normally, normally something she wouldn't have cared about, but she, it was so well done that she enjoyed it. And then we saw the preview for the Christy Martin one. And she's like, I'll watch that with you. Like they, they've done a great job with it. And I hope they continue to do more of it. Like Netflix is just one part of it. And I know you want to talk about the last dance. So if you want to, you know, have, have your say with that before we move on to, uh, Amazon and ESPN and Vice and then what they're doing. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. The Netflix did Net, Last Dance, talking about the Chicago Bulls of the 90s, the six-time world champions. That documentary, the 10-part documentary that they did, that, that, that Michael Jordan produced, unbelievable how good it is. Now, the only thing that's a little bit off on it is the fact that it's all from Michael Jordan's viewpoint. So there's maybe some inconsistencies, let's say, in what it's skewed a little bit. But it, still it's good. skewed a little bit, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it is an absolutely unbelievable 10 part series that documents more or less from the beginning to the end of Michael Jordan's career with the Chicago Bulls, including his tenure with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, minor league baseball, it took a deep dive into that dynasty behind the scenes with Jerry Krause, Jerry Reinstorf, and it really peeled back things that you kind of knew, but you didn't know. What I really appreciated about it was in the 90s, like every teenager, I was a huge Chicago Bulls fan. I watched them win all six of those championships. At the time, I didn't understand the business of sports. This documentary hit on the business of sports. And now that I'm older and I'm actually very interested in the business side of all sports, like you talk NHL salary cap, love it, love it. I may be a nerd there, love it. I love the business of sports. And this just hit on everything that you didn't know whether it was the relationship between Scottie Pippen and Jerry Krause and how much he hated him. Michael Jordan hated him, but they also gave him credit for building those teams. It was, gave us access that we never, ever would have had. The security guards, you, there's footage of the gambling with the security guards, throwing quarters at the wall. Like This is... What I appreciated about it was it showed that Michael Jordan, to the best of his capabilities, was still just a regular human being. 
He really was. He may have had a, some gambling problems and he, he really admitted it. And it really dove into those and kind of how that drove him away. But it also showed when it talked about his father's death, how much of an impact that had on his life. It really, in my opinion, showed this guy's a human being. He's very difficult circumstances to be a regular human being as he goes out in public and gets mauled. But it just did such a good job hitting behind the scenes. The Carmen Electra stuff with Dennis Rodman, so good. The, the well, sorry, it's Carmen Electra. Like you could have just had it on mute and her talking and it would have been phenomenal. You got the, the whole Isaiah Thomas hatred, the talking about the Pistons. Like it just really peeled back the layers of the onion in a time on, and on a team that I at the time didn't know anything about on the business side. And then I just so appreciate now that that 90s Bulls team even more. Phil Jackson, the circumstances around him, just so incredible. If you have not watched The Last Dance, you have to. You're doing yourself a disservice. Watch it. Yeah, and, and that's what I really love about these ones. And just getting the behind the scenes of everything is like, that's the part I love about it is whether – because for me, the NBA really, I, I've soured on it when they took the Grizzlies out of Vancouver. I've not been shy about that. But I still loved hearing and learning about Last Dance, everything that went on there, Malice in the Palace, everything that went on there. Because you you actually got the human side of things. It's not just, that's Jermaine O'Neal out there. That's Ron Artest. Like, Jordan, Pippen, also, you got more of it. You actually got to see them be themselves in real life and i think that's what's really cool about these ones now there's one that i plan on watching because nothing brings me more joy than watching the leafs go out in the first round when they should be winning (laughs) but amazon has got a documentary coming out on the leafs called all or nothing and for some reason some people are saying it's their last dance sorry leafs nation that's saying this you need to have won some championships to have a last dance, not, well, we haven't won a playoff series in 20 plus years. Um, Maybe it should be more like their first kiss. (laughs) Maybe like I am so excited for this one because I've seen the preview for it. When Kyle Dubas in the preview, it says this needs to get figured out because what is it? I'm starting to lose my effing patience. And there's a call where he says to a coach, I was like, what do you mean he doesn't want to come off the power play? Like, so I really want to know who thought that they could tell the coaching staff, I'm not coming off the power play. And I want to see what went on behind the scenes as they built this team that, yes, I predicted to finish fifth in the North. They may have finished first, but they went out in the playoffs like they finished fifth. So I'll take some redemption in that. Um, but I'm really excited. I'm really excited, interested to see how they play this out because really in the NHL, you know, there's not a lot of things that say Netflix could do and untold on other than maybe Bertuzzi more situation. Yeah, that would definitely be a really good, uh, uh, behind the scenes documentary, I'm looking forward to the Leafs one as well. Uh, the only thing I'm a little worried about being here in Canada is it might get round, rammed down our throats. 
because it is Maple Leafs coverage. But that being said, I will watch it 100%. I will watch it because, and same as the last dance, I love the behind the scenes. I love NHL trade deadline day, whenever they show like the war rooms and stuff of, or free agent signing, or when, when you're live at the draft and hopefully we can get to that. I love kind of that whole, you get a glimpse of the behind the scenes because the NHL is so tight lipped on everything they do. It's like so cookie cutter. And, and I know they tried to do it with some of the, the uh, winter classics where they did some uh, documentaries following the teams. I love being able to see behind the scenes. I want to hear some of those conversations that are had because you hear about it on the radio and whatever, but you don't actually believe it. I want to actually hear it. I want to hear Kyle Dubas rip a player. I want to hear Sheldon Keith rip a player. I want to hear Austin Matthews say something controversial because it's good for the game. And it, it, it's something you don't get to see. So I'm very much looking forward to this documentary. Unfortunately, it's on the Maple Leafs. And one of the other most famous documentaries that was done was on the Edmonton Oilers way back in the day. And I think it was Oil Change. Well, there was about there was oil change, oil change 2.0, oil change 3.0, oil change. Yes, we're still doing this uh, because every year they tried to tell us that Oilers were going to take that step and be the team, and it never happened. So there was a few. At, at least the Leafs one is on Amazon Prime, so it's not just going to be on every TSN or Sportsnet channel for yes. the next twenty-two months. Hey, hey. But I, I did still appreciate the oil change, even though it was the Oilers and I hate the Edmonton Oilers. I still appreciated it because you got some side of the game that you didn't normally get to see. And that's what I'm really, really enjoying about these documentaries is you get to hear people say things that you otherwise wouldn't. And that is what the fun is. And to me, that is how one of the ways you're going to grow the game. You're giving these players personality. And one of our, our favorite league, Ken, is the Canadian Football League. How much would you love to see the Canadian Football League, and I'm not saying putting out a documentary, even just get their athletes and their players in the spotlight so we can actually learn something about them. This yeah. gives you an opportunity to learn about the players that you watch. I would, it would be amazing if, if the Calgary Stampeders trotted out Bo Levi Mitchell to do you know a few series and not the, the I think Matt Dunnigan had a cooking show way back in the day. <laughs> it still does. I think it still does, but we're sorely missing. Give these guys personality. And that's what some of these documentaries do. They give them personality so we can relate to them better. We can relate to Ron Artest over his mental illness. We can relate to Michael Jordan over the death of his father. We can relate to Jermaine O'Neal and the struggles he had you know, growing up and dealing with having a chip on his shoulder when he got drafted by Portland, it gives a face to the, to the personality and it gives personality in general to these people. So keep it up. I love it. Yeah. And I think having it on Netflix, Amazon, uh, vice, what you get there is real. You aren't going to get the cookie cutter you would get if it's on sports center TSN where everything has to be kept clean you can't maybe dive into everything as much as you could because it, someone could be offended by it because let's face it. The real world isn't clean. It isn't happy. There's things like in the duck in malice in the palace, 
Jermaine O'Neill talks about growing up with the Confederate flag on the state building in South Carolina and the racism that was all around there that, that he had to deal with every day. Those are the kind of things you get when it's real with Netflix and Amazon. They got a lot more freedom than, you know, cable TV. So I like it. The other one that before we kind of get into what, what we would like to see for one, cause we kind of talked about it before is I like the vice ones, uh, dark side of the ring. Now growing up watching wrestling and I'll fully admit it as a 40 year old man, I still will watch Monday night raw. I just realized I missed Friday night Smackdown and the return of Brock Lesnar. Um, <laughs> And Edge, Edge came out at SummerSlam to his brood entrance and then went into his own. Like, it's still stuff that is entertaining. But what I really love about Vice's dark side of the ring is you see the behind the scenes and everything that happened. And I think, you know, you watched the Owen Hart one. I did too. Oh, um, so good. Like, it, you got to hear from the family. You get to hear things that happen, like, behind and everything. And they're great documentaries. There was one, they did a two-parter on Chris Benoit. There's a Brian Pillman one. There's there's so many, so many things that you're getting to see about this and what the business of wrestling has done to you guys. I, I watched one on a wrestler named Bruiser Brody, who I'd never heard of before, who was killed in Puerto Rico, I think it was, by another wrestler. Just crazy stories from behind the scenes. And they're just great they're great to watch. And ESPN has their ESPN 60 and 30 for 30. I've watched some of those and they're, they're good as well. But I think this part, this part here, Trevor, to finish it up, like you and I both said, I said like, what's one thing that you would love to see the next untold or, or a 10 partner like last dance. And I think, I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think we both agreed on MLB steroid era. I, I was just going to bring that up. There is a, a pretty good documentary on Netflix right now called Screw, uh, I believe it's called Screwball, where it essentially takes kid actors and it really dives into, you know, you got a little kid portraying Alex Rodriguez. It really dives into the steroids and how it came about. If you haven't watched it again, it's really, really good. Once you kind of get over the, get used to the fact that it's like kids portraying adults, but there is so much, so much to be said here. And I, I've read Canseco's book, Jose Canseco, Juiced. Great book. If you haven't read it, please read it. But again, you're getting a very one-sided, jaded point of view. There is unbelievable amounts to know about the steroid era in baseball. Who did it? Who's Who got away with it? Who Who cheated? Who won championships because of it? Looking at you, Boston, that we don't know about. There is some people got crucified for it, not enough. It was rampant. And at some point, I hope, I hope there is a tell all from, and it might have to be Jose Canseco. It very well might have to be. Can you imagine getting Canseco and Schilling sitting down doing this? Oh, you, <laughs> it would yes. go off the rail so quick, so quick. But I think if, if like, they're not going to punish them. They never have. They never will. They're not in the hall of fame. Like these guys are being ostracized now with the hall of fame, not getting in for what they did. So who have at it. Tell everyone what you did. Alex Rodriguez had that whole federal, like went to federal court and everything. And 
you know, gave up names and how it went. Get A-Rod in front of him. I don't think any of them are working for an MLB team right now. So get McGuire, get Sosa, get A-Rod, get Roger Clemens, get, get all of them that were ever, you know, thought or admitted to doing it or suspected. Get them all in front of a camera and let's get this done. Give me 10 episodes. Give me 20. Let's hear it. I like this is a major part of baseball that is a forever scar on major league baseball. It's funny you say scar because yes, it's a scar, but it also saved the game. Like that whole slogan chicks dig the long ball all came because of this. Yeah. There was a whole commercial with Greg Maddox and John Smoltz trying to hit dingers. Yeah. the, the, The baseball at the time was struggling and all of a sudden, this steroid era saved it. Now, what's happened post-steroid era, what's kind of come out is maybe is a little more questionable. But had we not had this era, God knows what we would have had right now. So at some point, I would just love to see a tell-all of you know the, Manfred and those guys. You know what? The, the steroids weren't good for the game because... How good would that be? And how much material would you have? Oh, I think you'd have hours upon hours of material. Like, take a look at Malice in the Palace again for a second. Tim Donahue, the referee that ref that game, you could do one on himself. I'm like, that name is familiar. Why is his name familiar? Well, he's the, N- the NBA ref who had the uh, gambling scandal and was fired and was found guilty or pled guilty to, to those charges. You could do a document documentary series on him, but I'm sure there's umpires. I'm sure there's former uh, league executives that would sit down in front of a camera now because they got nothing to lose and spill the beans. I'd love to see that. Another great documentary would be on Pete Rose going to keep it with the baseball theme. There's, there's a lot to be said there as well. And I think, you know, get Pete Rose <laughs> kind of a tell all. There, God, the, the possibilities are endless to your question of what would be out there. We mentioned Steve Moore and Todd Bertuzzi in the NHL. Like, what all went into that? You know what would be a great documentary? The Detroit Red Wings and the Colorado Avalanche. The, 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 the Kirk Maltby, the Draper, the, the Patrick Wad, Mike Vernon. Claude Lemieux. Claude Lemieux. Like, you could have a documentary series on the hatred of the – the Avalanche and the Red Wings in the 90s. There's so the, the, endless, endless. Actually, another really good one before we get going here, Bob Probert. There was a, a documentary on him, and I can't remember which streaming service it was on, which really drove de- deep into his mental illness, his, his drug addiction, his alcohol addiction. <sighs> I'm speechless. When I watched that, I was like, I knew he was a bad boy. I knew he had issues, but you didn't realize because there was home video of him passed out on Christmas day because he went on a bender the night before and did so much cocaine that he couldn't even get out of bed. And it all eventually led to him dying prematurely in front of his family on a, on a holiday out on the boat. And it was just, it was heartbreaking. 
but again, it was that the whole behind the scenes, it just gave you uh, so much more perspective on the man. Bob Probert was uh, a, a bigger than life figure in the NHL in the 90s and early 2000s for his fighting. And it just really, it's just an eye opener of how difficult of a life he really had. And so again, another one, if you haven't seen it, source it out, it's, it gives you just this appreciation of how hard and what he went through to have a professional career. He was in jail. He over drug addiction, like just, he overcame a lot, but at the end of the day, he ended up actually not overcoming anything. Very powerful stuff. So I, I highly recommend that one as well. Well, I think the one thing too, that I think would be a good documentary series where you could take it and cover a lot of different sports and make it work is about head trauma and everything that has gone on with that in different sports and what changes and things have been done to try and improve it. But how, how has it affected people through their life? And I'm trying to find the, because it just, it just came to me, but the Will Smith movie where he played the doctor with the concussions. Yeah, I know which one you're um, talking about. Very good movie. And it's just absolutely killing me that on his filmography on uh, IMDb, it's all about his soundtrack. <laughs> so, before anything laugh. else, just, <laughs> just, just give me the damn movie. I can't remember what it's called, but right like that there, I think, would be... I have watched a lesser known documentary and I, I, the name escapes me on this one about head trauma in the NFL. And I mean, it might've gone into other sports. I can't remember. There's a, a lesser known one out there and it's actually quite revealing about yeah. what the players went through. And, and it was, uh, it include junior sale and kind of how, what happened there. And, and there's a few others you're so bang on the, the head trauma in sports is a major, major uh, topic that needs more deep discussion and analysis of, because this is something that's not going away. And this is something that has lasting repercussions on every single athlete. Well, I think as fans, you'd have a little more understanding and potential compassion when you see the hits that used to happen, the Scott Stevens type of hits that used to happen. And you're calling for those types of old school hits now, or, you know, you, you call a wide receiver soft because he pulls up and, and instead of making the catch and getting drilled as he does it. Um, I think you'd have as a fan, you'd have a little more compassion towards that. And I think it'd be a great, uh, thing to have for a little more understanding uh, of what happens to these athletes. They don't get a lifetime career out of this. They do get make a good amount of money, but not all of them. And there's lifelong repercussions to this. Well, we would love to hear from our listeners. What are some good sports documentaries or just documentaries in general that Ken and I need to watch? Reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at the BleacherCon1. Ken's at the BleacherCon2. Like I said, from the top, I'm a documentary junkie. Send me some, send me what to watch. Yeah, I, I'm going to be diving deep into some more uh, Netflix Untold and some Vice Dark Side of the Ring because those are just great entertainment. So 
I want to thank everyone for tuning in. That's our show. Don't forget to check out our premiere every Monday, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Unhinged Radio, powered by Belly Up Sports at unhingedsn.airtime.pro. Well, thanks for everyone for tuning in. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, everyone.